Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today, this is this is funny because I have a friend on today who we have never met in person, which obviously that happens a lot to me. But I don't know, and she can explain maybe more about this, but I don't know about energy, but the energy I get from this person is crazy, even though it's over the phone or over uh, Zoom. So that's weird to me because usually I'm in a room with someone and I can feel their energy. But Kayla Dutton is here with me today. She's a friend of mine from the East Coast. I really, uh, I really got in a fondness for those East Coast people, I think. (laughs) So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, honey. I really appreciate reconnecting with you. It's been way too long. It has. So Kayla and I actually were in a class together. That's how we met. And then we just started talking after that. And if you go to Kayla's Facebook page, it's kind of cool because her um, bio uh, will say unique, unique brand designer, healing heart worker, sounds and singer. So there's a lot of stuff we get to learn today about Kayla. So let's start. First of all, congratulations, because I see that your art is on display in Massachusetts at Revolution Hall. Yes, it is. In Lexington. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about your art to begin with. Because you don't just, I mean, you do murals, you do paintings, you do artwork, you do little sprites. Let's go. (laughs) Let's get into the art. So I, I guess a really good way to describe and sum that up is uh, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And I think um, there are quite a lot of us out there who maybe hide in the shadows because we're often told you need a niche. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm a multi-passionate. I bring all of the things from my heart space to the table. And that gives me a beautiful relationship with an extremely wide audience so that I can show up as all that I am and say, what do you need today? And it creates incredible connections for people. So I'm appreciative of that. So most of my life getting into your, your, you know, the the art lead that you're talking about. um, I've been an artist and musician first and foremost, since I was a very young child, I performed singing um, all over new England. I was doing things um, singing live as a child from things that my parents were involved in things with school, um, doing things professionally live there as well. And on the side was always doing things with art. So I eventually went to school for that and double majored for a while in both art and music. Um, But, you know, just decided to concentrate on the art because I was already a working musician at that time. And I didn't feel (laughs) if I could go back, I'd change my mind. I didn't feel at the time that I wanted to continue um, a degree in, in music. So So I did graduate with a BFA. I had a concentration in graphic design and I still use all that. So most of my life as my career before entrepreneurship came forward, I was a production artist, a graphic designer, um, a painter. I did so many things for everyone else. And it wasn't until I landed an amazing opportunity with Vodaborg, which is a Swedish company that um, came to Boston. I was the lead residence and artist, uh, artist in residence there and helped and, you know, had some people working alongside me as well as governing a team and really rekindled my love of painting at that time. I was first and foremost, like on the front lines, doing construction and doing huge installations for multi rooms with art, painting murals on their wall, doing sculptures. And that's really what kindled my connection of 
painting large again and, and doing fine artwork. It was a fantastic opportunity. The only reason why I'm really not there anymore is because the commute for me was hellacious. And mm -hmm. it, was, um, it was really wearing on my body. Uh, and at that time I was starting to enter and getting really, really sick with, now we know Lyme, di Lyme disease. So uh, it was just divine timing with reintroducing me to por portion of myself and from there, I started painting and trying to show my artwork and, you know, little things keep popping up and people keep tagging me online. Thank you to those people. So I've been taking the opportunities as they come and redeveloping myself and I guess rediscovering pieces of me that have already been there just on a deeper level as an adult versus being micromanaged as a child and then growing and working for other people. So it's kind of a new discovery. Does that make sense? I love it. So you're a musician, but you also work with sounds. So talk a little bit about the sounds that you that you work with. Sure. So as I was growing through college and art and all of these things, I'd always been um, very into the metaphysical world, mythology, occultism, all of those things. And during that time, I had a very big awakening that I had shut off as a child that I now understand of metaphysical psychic work, healing, mediumship, uh, multidimensional uh, beingness, channeling, all of those kinds of things. So I started to explore that world for my own personal healing at that time. And eventually after training in, oh God, I just have a list as long as my leg, but that's <laughs> that, that to me, that doesn't matter. It's just tools in your toolbox. Um, so despite the certifications, that journey led me into sound healing. And I thought at the time, I wasn't really doing a lot of full-time musicianship at that time in my life. And I thought, well, how do I bring music into healing work? And I had been receiving while I was working on people, whether it be Reiki or transformational work with Theta Healing, I'd been being told by my guides, you should be singing over the body. And at first I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't, how do I, no, it's not a thing, right? <laughs> so I kind of ignored it. And then when I found the sound healing certification, I totally, it like almost just dropped into my field that data just dropped in how it would all come together. So I bought bowls, I bought a hand pan. I started traveling around um, New England, doing meditations with psychic work at the end for people. And they were having extremely cool transformative experience with the sounds of these crystal tones bowls and the rhythms that I was playing on the handpan to kind of just pull forward their bodies, body, mind, soul healing response. And it was so cool. Cause then I felt like I was doing something musical that was filling me. And it was so different because I'm used to singing pop and R and B and classic rock and mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And this led me into a different world to kind of experience my voice in a different way. It was super cool. That is so cool. So do you do, a lot of sound healing right now? So COVID has kind of taken some of that stuff and put it on a back seat. Um, I will do remote sessions. I've been trying to move my practice to remote because energy knows no boundaries, which I know you mentioned kind of in the beginning yeah. of the talk where you were, I don't understand how I can feel all the things, you know, and we're not even in the same room. Right. That's one of the reasons why, you know, energy only gives us, you know, we give energy the boundaries, if that's a better way to say it. We give energy the boundaries when actually it exists all through time and space. So we kind of put that strange kibosh on stuff when you don't have to. So when you first experience something like that, 
um, you start thinking, ooh, okay, there's, there's something that's transcending here. So with the sound healing, COVID kind of put a little bit of the kibosh on that. Um, it doesn't translate super well over Zoom all the time. Um, you can do it, but as a musician who has like some sound experience and, you know, mixing and things like that, <laughs> I go, <laughs> but um, if you do a remote session with me and it's just the two of us, uh, I will integrate that into the sessions, whether we're doing that over Zoom together like this, or you're laying in a quiet, safe space, I'm connecting with you beforehand, and then we're talking after, but I'm still performing all of the same things for you remotely that I would in person. You just, if you're doing it laying down and we're not connected through Zoom or a phone call, you don't have the benefit of hearing it immediately, but the energy is happening because the intention, the intention is there. So when a person does something like that, you have to give the person permission to work on you, correct? So I'm going to offer to you that portion of that is yes. And there's a portion of that that is a myth that's misunderstood. In most cases, you should have permission from the person to work on them. In most cases for me, people are giving me that permission because they're seeking me out and saying, I'd like a session with you. Mm -hmm. But there are certain cases where you can kind of set the intention. I'd like to send healing for this person for their highest and best good. There's your loophole. So if they don't want it or they can't receive it, it's allowed to bounce into the universe, bounce back into the universe, or your intention just waits for them to receive. So oftentimes, like, if you want to really simplify it, people who believe in the power of prayer, well, we pray for people all the time. And while I think the power of prayer can be either a discussion, a talking to with your higher self or your higher power, and where energy work can be a direct action for a manifestation, you can still ask for the best intention to come through. And if it's not ready to be received, it can go elsewhere. So always get the permission. That's the best way to go. But very often you can send unconditional love without permission. Hmm. Okay. And then it's, and then it's their choice as to whether or not they want to accept it. Okay. All right. So I think that energy is often, um, misunderstood and, and it's not something that we learn about in school or, you know, this is stuff that a person really has to learn on their own. So tell me, when did you realize that you were good at energy work, that you should pursue energy work? And then I'd like to know how energy work has healed you and other people. Fantastic. So I feel like I want to offer to people that this is our birthright. Anybody can do this. There is a distinction between people who have a natural aptitude because they're already open to that or those people who would like to step into it and train it and hone your craft. But if for the purposes of conversation, we accept that human beings are spiritual, spiritual entities having a human experience and that we are multidimensional and can exist in many facets in the universe, whether it be in this timeline, another timeline, past, present, future. So if you understand or were willing to accept that energy, time, the confines that the human understands of that or that we try and give it aren't really so and that we can exist in a multitude of different ways, okay? This is everyone's birthright. We are allowed to have this. We are allowed to be psychic. We are allowed to be healers. We are allowed to have that. 
It's just a matter if you want to be open to that and you want to train into it. So for me, like a lot of energy healers that are now in awareness of their, of their gifts or, you know, or their birthright, I had very interesting things going on as a child and I never spoke about it to anybody. I just shut it off because it scared me. I grew up in a very Catholic family. There was no discussion of stuff like that. Not probably on purpose. It just wasn't there. I don't want to make it sound like there was a problem in the family. I just think you grow up in a way of thinking and maybe you're not exposed to those things at certain points. So there was no discussion of, you know, me at six years old needing to go to my parents going, mom, I see a man in my room and I don't understand that. Or I'm, I'm experiencing these physical sensations or I can walk into a room and I don't know why I'm completely scared, but that fear isn't mine. So, which is, you know, that's empathy, that's mediumship I'm talking about, that's, that's, that's psychic seeing, that's different things there. So when you're six years old and you're starting to experience these things, I, I didn't have a name for it. So I consciously shut it off. I never went to anybody. I never told anybody. I just got scared. It was bothering me. Do you think that that happens to kids as well as if they do tell an adult, they will be told, oh, there's nothing there or no, you don't. Do you think like it will get suppressed in several different ways? I would say that each situation is different. And I would say that I have seen that. I think there are a lot of people who are still fearful about one's own multidimensional beingness and whether or not that's even a thing or a truth for some people. And it's very quick. I think adults in general are very quick to tell a child just because of their own experience and their age to say, that's not a thing, honey. Shh. I think that absolutely that happens. And when we don't, let me actually put it this way. The biggest thing that I would want to say to any adult that might be inter, you know, might be experiencing that don't make your fears, your child's fears. Don't make your concerns, your child's concerns. You have a specific set of beliefs that you've grown up with. And it's important to be able to share all that knowledge with who you're raising mm-hmm. for all, whatever reasons you feel that that should be there. But something like that comes forward. We have to do a couple things. One, we have to make sure that there's no mental health issues. We have to make sure that that person's being taken care of appropriately. But three, most children don't come into this world and make up things like that at a young age. It's, it's not, I, I've, not, I've not seen that very often. Mm-hmm. There's been a few cases that I've seen with people who have come to me and said, I'm concerned. And there was some mental work that needed to be taken care of. But in most cases, children haven't been taught to not see. Hmm. That happens later on. Yep. Right? We teach them it's not okay to have your own voice. It's not okay to have vision. Imagination stops at some point. And all of these things, imagination, visionary, being comfortable in your own skin are a big portion of allowing energy to flow and those gifts to be used in confidence and acceptance. So when we squash those things in a younger person, yes, you can repress that. But you still have to make sure as a parent or a, you know, the person that you're working with and even of yourself, let's just make sure there's no mental illness here. Let's just make sure we're talking okay. with the right people. Yep. So at six, did you, did you repress everything at six then? I wanna say that, start, that repression probably started a little bit later 
because it took me a while to shut it off. Okay. And when did you get comfortable to rediscover it again? I started to get little hits for it in high school and then big time freedom to rediscover that through college. Okay. I was out on my own. I was meeting people and, you know, and it's interesting because when we're on any path of self-discovery, we're meeting, we're greeting. We don't always have the best discernment around who we're connected with at that point. We're just soaking up the information. So I think for me, that's probably where I was. I was soaking up information. I was willing to, to speak and connect with anybody who would maybe teach me things. And I would say it gave me a, a well-rounded introduction <laughs> to a lot of different things. And then as we get older, we learn discernment, which is super important for your soul sovereignty, especially if you're going to be in energy work, not believing everything that everybody tells you and really feeling out that truth. Um, and, 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 and bringing it into a place of usability and awareness, and then just constantly refining that truth because truth is perceptive. The more we understand about a thing, the bigger perception we have about it. Mm-hmm. So what does your family think now with energy? They're fine. <laughs> now they're fine. <laughs> Do they rely on it though? Like, are they asking you questions about it and, and curious about it? I, I wouldn't say that they always ask me questions or they're curious about it. I think they're very complete in who they are as beings. And when I first came home and, and told them what I was dabbling in, that was not a good situation. And it also didn't make me want to speak with them about it continuously at all. And then my mom started uh, having a lot of problems. She has Parkinson's. So she would, she actually, I think, came around because of her own healing journey. And she started asking for Reiki. And, um, the more that, you know, she kind of experienced some things. And then I introduced her some, to some folk, there was a lot that was more open Then my dad started running around telling people I was a Druid. I was like, dad, I'm not a Druid. That okay. Oh, sure. Whatever you got. <laughs> like, okay, I, now what is a Druid? <laughs> well, I, I would say I can't speak to the wholeness of that because I don't have all the proper education, but traditionally my understanding from what I was taught was a, a druid generally is in um, a paganism field which I do dabble in as well uh, most of the time they were men it's a Celtic thing from Europe <laughs> and it often included magic using spell work ritual things like that which, which I actually have dabbled in as well um, but uh traditionally most druids were were men if I believe um, now of course it's it's opening up to so much more but I think back in the back in the old days it was mostly men (laughs) wow okay so tell me about some of the people that you've worked with energy wise have you helped unlock some bad energy restore good energy what what are you helping people with yeah so so energy is energy is energy and the reason why I want to say that is energy is how a person uses it for a positive for a negative you know, influenced with anger, influenced with fear versus influenced with love. So when I've worked with clients, when I first started working, I worked with a lot of addiction. I worked with cancer patients. I worked with um, people who were struggling with sexual abuse. Uh, I even had some domestic stuff. So that was kind of my introduction for transformational work with, with people when I was first starting out. That's and then stuff. That's, huh? that's really heavy stuff there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But what's beautiful is 
you know, healing is everything. It's light, it's fluffy, it's fun, it's happy, it's boogers, it's crying. It, it, it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine, mm-hmm. but, but you can enjoy the process as much as you can after you sit in the suck for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was my first introduction. And I would say, you know, then came people who had chronic illness, chronic pain, back pain. Um, I worked on people with carpal tunnel. Um, after I started working with Theta Healing, training in that modality, I had a woman walk in my office. She had, her hands were like turned in like this and she hunched over. She had one session with me and she, she walked out straight and could get up and out of her chair. And I would say, you know, hashtag results, not typical, depending on what's happening with a person, because you mm-hmm. have to track the point of origin for why that's actually there, which is a, a whole bigger discussion. But um, when you're really ready to root through the shit, um, you know, you, you can really do a lot for yourself. I'm just helping you. I'm the bridge. I'm going to point out the things that you might want to think about, I'm going to facilitate the energy and, and work with that energy to create transformation on a cellular and DNA level and work through that multidimensional piece. So now as I've evolved, I really only want to work with people who want to do the work. Um, I have a, I'm very lucky to have the reputation that I do in my community and, and it's, it's there because I worked hard and I, and I honed and I come from a place of wanting to help you, mm-hmm. but I I would rather work with people at this point who want to do the transformational work, who want better for themselves and are willing to sit through the discomfort, even if it's just a little bit and maybe laugh through, you know, laughter through tears to get there. Mm -hmm. I want to give people the tools to have the life that they want without always relying on another person. There's a difference between enabling and relying and you know, only using people for, for your own self-worth than learning the tools so that you can have a healthy lifestyle and have dramatic changes in your physical, mental, emotional health so that you can live your authentic life. Mm -hmm. It's powerful stuff. It's super powerful. So what, what happens when you meet someone and they have really, really bad energy like obviously that doesn't mean they're a bad person but what what's going through your head when you meet some like you I've talked before on my show about how if I'm around certain people I sometimes physically feel ill like I literally cannot stand being around some people again not saying that they're bad people but there's just something there that really bothers me so when you're in a situation like that what's going through your head So for me, if I'm in a situation like that, I'm checking on a couple of things. One, do I feel that way because they're hitting a trigger in my resonance field that I need to look at because it's bringing up something in me that I need to shift or heal? Two, is this just an empathy piece because I'm standing in a room of people and I can actually, I feel sick because someone's got a stomach ache or someone's got this, this thing or that thing. And I'm, I'm in that place. Okay. Three, am I holding my own energy field? So I'm not taking on other people's junk. So those are the first three things that run through my head as someone who's an energy worker and someone who either helps other people, but also wants to help herself thrive when we are all at different points in our journey. Cause I really want to squash the good energy, bad energy thing. And that's just our human way of like speaking about things. Cause yeah, people really want to compartmentalize that stuff because it helps us find awareness or a way to 
categorize things so that we can have a discussion about it. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, people are just in very different journeys and emotional states can be heightened. Sickness states can be heightened. Love states can be heightened. So when you walk into a room like that, I would say for you, you're probably in a place of empathic experience. So there's a difference between empathy and being an empathic. Being empathic means you actually have that psychic gift turned on of, I can feel your pain. I can physically experience your sickness. I can see and or feel here in any of my psychic senses, what you're physically, emotionally going through. So it sounds like that might be one thing that you're experiencing. And yes, there are ways to combat that if you begin to be aware and work on the awareness of what we call your field. So if you're in a situation like that, the first thing I would say to you is check in with yourself. Is this my feeling or is this someone else's feeling? Normally, if you acknowledge it, it'll start to go away. If it's someone else's junk. If it's your junk or it's something you need to pay attention to, it might stick around a little bit to try and get your attention. I guess I would say our body is our tuning fork. That is our greatest sensory perception. And it works in tandem with our intuition. It's our biggest organ, our, our body, our skin. We, it's our biggest tuning fork piece. So we're people who experience the things like what we're talking about. That's your tuning fork going, bing, something here for me to pay attention to. Okay. I want to get back to intuition. Mm -hmm. I wrote that down, but before, I mean, this isn't like a Sarah therapy session, but I'm, I'm actually curious. Like there is some patients that will come in my office and even my office manager knows not that it's going to stress me out, but they're like a vacuum. They will yeah. take all the positive energy in the room. And mm -hmm. I'm very positive by nature and I am not fake positive. That is literally who I am. If I am not in a positive mood, something is wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they are like a vacuum. So like they're, and specifically I can think of a couple times. I like before this patient comes in, I will do jumping jacks and I will run and play. Like I will try to do everything to like, get my heart beat up and just try mm -hmm. to just give myself a little extra boost. But regardless, it is almost like they stick a vacuum to me and suck all my energy out. Yep. Um, yep. How, how can a person protect themselves from that? So first I would say excellent job for raising your vibration and just <laughs> raising your sense of self so that you can feel a little bit stronger in your field before someone like that comes in. There's all kinds of ways that people can just and kind of get pumped up. And, and if that's working for you, I give you a lot of credit for at least recognizing like, shit, man, I gotta do some stuff before these people walk in my office. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll even bring my, I have an energy ring. I will bring my energy yeah. ring. I will sit in that. I'm just like, whatever yeah. I can do to try mm -hmm. to help myself, let's go. Yeah, so, you know, first I feel like I wanna address your question about like, what is that? So people talk about energy vampires, narcissists, uh, people who are in victim mentality. And what happens a lot of times with people like that is they do things called energy pulling. And that's why you feel drained. That's why it feels like a vacuum. Now, I would recommend if you've never read the Celestine Prophecies, he talks about energy pulling in this. There are multiple different types of energy pullers. 
and each type has like a way of conversing, talking, and for lack of a better way to explain it, I would say bait the other person in conversation to pull energy from them. Mm. And oftentimes that's why we feel drained like that. And the best thing that we can do to kind of protect ourselves from that is one, again, like you did, be aware of your field, hop up a little bit, be in that space of love. I would say two, remember that it's not really about you. It's about what they're going through. So try not to take things personally. The Four Agreements is another book. It really talks in depth about different things like that and kind of letting go of the expectations of other people. And I would also offer that learning to disarm and not engage in an energy pull is extremely important. Sometimes that can trigger the other person because they're not getting what they want. They're not getting what they tried to pull from. And it can, can trigger a little bit of an emotional response, but practicing that level of being able to disarm them or not engage because everybody nowadays is all about speak your truth, right? And I think there's gigantic misconceptions about speaking your truth. You have to decide whether or not this idea of speaking your truth is you being defensive and coming back at something or you need to say it for the health of your mind, body, and well-being, and whether or not it's actually going to help the situation versus engage it and pull on each other further. Okay. So do you think that these people are very good at sensing the empathic people that they can maybe try to get something out of, or do you think that they more prey on weak people? I would say that's a case by case basis. I truly believe that everybody energy pulls and sometimes it's not conscious until we are aware that we're doing it. When I started really delving into energy pulling, I recognized in my past growing up, there would have been ways that I would have been categorized as an energy puller. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh God. So when you become to have that awareness of it, you start recognizing, okay, I don't need to engage in that, or that's not what I need today. I need to do that for myself. This isn't a defensive conversation. It's really more about illumination. You start dropping your expectations. You release taking things personally as you, when you can. Um, I think there are some people, by the way that you describe it, if you want to fit that profile of sociopath, if you want to fit that profile of narcissism, those people oftentimes are out for control Mm -hmm. for different reasons, probably coming from a place of wounding, their own wounding of whatever happened either in their lifetime or their childhood, or maybe even something that they're carrying forward from a past life, if you want to consider that past life sort of thing. Um, it's, it can be really tricky. Yes. Energy pulls can absolutely be used for manipulation and for getting what you want, that they can be used as tactics for that. But I would say that there are quite a handful of people out there who do energy pull and they don't realize it because they're either unhappy in their life or they're taking a lot of things personally. So they end up on the attack or they, or they feel like they don't want to bother you. So they'll just wait for you to chase them for answers, you know, cause that's an energy pull in itself. They call it being aloof. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people who energy pull, it kind of sounds like those are more insecure people. Would that be hand in hand? 
I could say that you would probably see that at times, but I don't necessarily want to generalize because then again, we'd have to track for someone. And when I say track for someone, that would be in the sense of someone coming and saying, I need to fix my life. I, I, there's things here I want to improve upon. And we'd have to track if they're actually doing that, why and where it comes from. I would say each situation could be different. Okay. And on a case by case basis, trusting your intuition and that soul sovereignty of, do I know this person? Do I know their heart? Am I aware of where they're coming from? Do I have to engage in this? Did they ask me to help? Mm -hmm. You know, what level of help can I give? So, so I have often seen, yes, insecurity be a factor, but I don't want to say it's the deciding factor that people consciously choose to use control dramas because I believe everybody uses them sometimes just without knowing it. And then other people choose to use them because it is a manipulation tool and they're trying to get something from you. So if you, I think that people don't listen to their intuition probably enough, or maybe don't even realize it's their intuition that's mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. But if you have a person, if you, I don't know if you have to be an empathic person, if it's your intuition, I want, I want you to kind of clear this up for me. If you are engaged in a conversation and you know that the person, like you, you identify that they are energy pulling from you. Maybe they're narcissists. Maybe they're trying to manipulate you, trying to get you to say certain things. But that little light bulb in your head goes off, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I see what you're trying to do," and and you don't play into it. What is that? Is that your intuition? Is that just a BS meter? Because not everyone can can do that. And some people get really, really easily pulled into that. So how is it that some of us are better than others at identifying uh, that manipulation? So I would say that just depends on where you are in your journey. You know, um, some people I think are better at identifying it because they have identified things within themselves or they've worked to understand why they are attracting certain types of attention or why they're attracting certain types of lessons over and over again. If you go back through your life and you do like a timeline exercise or you, you start kind of mapping, maybe if you did it even in like five to 10 year chunks, like the first five years, I remember this, the first five years, next five years, I remember this. You'll start seeing a pattern with the way that you interact with people. And again, I would say that while some people maybe not forwardly good at intuition it doesn't mean it's not there it generally means you're just not tuned into it or listening because it's something that you can formulate for yourself it's something that you can walk into it you, you can train into it you can work with it you can learn about it um the human body mind and soul is an incredible instrument it is our tuning fork it's how we receive all the time so in your example, if you're sitting there across from someone, you're like, I see what you're doing. I, I got that. Mm -hmm. All right. BS meter. Well, isn't that another way for intuition? Mm, yeah, I like that. Not only that, but spirit, divine, however you understand intuition coming through, higher self, however you understand that to be, often works with you with what you know. Yeah, they'll definitely give you things you don't know too. And you might go, wait, what? But I would say that happens to people often who are willing to trust what they're receiving. So if you are, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, let's say the conversation you were having with that particular person who's across from you and you're well-versed in the information and the history of that type of conversation of the subject matter. 
and you know what they're spewing is either not truth or BS, you're feeling it and you're understanding it and you're going, mm-hmm, yeah, because you can sniff it out. <laughs> Spirit gives you the stuff that you already know. And once you start trusting that, they'll give you more. Mm, I like it. Okay. So you mentioned two books before we get into intuition, because that's what I want us to end on. But it was it the Elstein Prophecies? Celestine Prophecies with a C. Celestine Prophecies. Okay. And then what was the other one? Four Agreements? Yes. The Four Agreements. Don Miguel. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. So I'm not just making stuff up. Okay. No, no. not at all. <laughs> now, I, I go with my gut a lot in to the point where I had said something to my husband the other day. I'm like, ah, I'm just not feeling it. I'm like, I just, it, something just doesn't feel right. And he wrote back and he's like, what are you thinking? Your gut scares me seriously. Yeah. Because- That's your intuition, girl. <laughs> and the funny because like he, th- there'll be certain things like, let's all put this on the table. I am, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm psychic. No, no, no. I'm saying like, I get feelings about stuff. So like, he doesn't like to fly and I'll say, nope, everything's going to be fine. I, you know, I, I don't have a bad feeling about you flying or whatever. And I'm not saying that it gives him any type of relief, but I think it does. And one time he was leaving and I said, I just don't have a good feeling about this. And he got a little nervous and I said, no, I don't think it's your flight. I just, I just don't have a good feeling about it. And then when he was gone, one of our kids did get sick. Okay. And so I think that, um, he not saying that he probably thinks his intuition is spot on, but he kind of, um, relies maybe more on what my gut says. So, you know, I'll say, no, I feel fine about that. No, I I'm not going to die like that. No, everything, you know, like I, you know, and I say it with such confidence that I think he thinks I'm crazy, but Let's talk about intuition and how we all really do have it. And, and I say this to moms too. I'll say, that's your mom. That's your, it's your, it's your mom intuition. It's your mom gut. You're, mm-hmm. you know, do what you feel is right. Don't just do what people are telling you to do. You have to follow and believe what's best for you. And I think that's really important right now because I think right now, I mean, in life, we always are um, exposed to a lot of pressure and we truly have to do what is best for ourselves Mm -hmm. and not judge other people. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about our intuition and how maybe we can even hone in on that. Sure. And yeah, like, like mom senses off the charts. They're some of the most intuitive people I have ever met and they just squash it all down because they're being pulled in a bazillion different directions and they second guess themselves as a being and a parent and a mother. Mm-hmm. So don't do that. Ladies <laughs> check in with yourself, raise, <laughs> raise and put that crown on your head because you are doing the hardest job out there. Holy mackerel. Um, but if you want to really get in and hone in on your intuition, when I teach people tarot mediumship and have mentored and, and held circles, I remind people it's important to start allowing receiving what you're getting and giving what you're getting learning discernment even almost after that and i don't know that everybody would agree with me with that approach but when i'm teaching people intuition intuition comes through with games playfulness imagination fun because then you're in the space of vibration of what's possible rather than second guessing oh well what if i don't The biggest intuition killer is doubt and the what if game. Eh. Next, don't do it. Practice (laughs) receiving, practice tuning in. 
when I've done, um, there's a, a, a circle that I run called intuitive play. And at the end of that, depending on the crowd, I'm either teaching them to apply those intuitions to reader reading, psychic readings, tarot cards, or I'm teaching them to do it with mediumship. And what I tell people is give what you get. Little exercise. All right, we start off like, all right, I'm going to throw a bunch of colors on the ground upside down. We're going to do fast rounds. You're going to guess. Don't worry about being wrong. You have to shit out, shift, shift, shift out of being wrong and into what am I feeling? What am I seeing? What am I sensing? What is my body telling me? What is my gut telling me? So if we talk about it that way, your fear voice and your knowing voice have two very different resonances. The fear voice is often accompanied by doubtful things that run in your mind. <laughs> I have a girlfriend, she calls it the itty bitty shitty community. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I call them the yet yets or the, the board members <laughs> who basically say things like, you're crazy. That's not good enough. Why would you even say that? It's the damaging voice, okay? The fear voice is generally the damaging voice. At times, fear is important. We need it. It kind of keeps us safe, right? But the voice that comes along with that, with those examples that I've described, is generally the intuition killer, and it's actually not real. It's that anxiety of unworthiness that comes up that says, you can't do this, you will be wrong for that fear of being wrong. Switching into the love side of things to allow that intuition, you could be right. What does that feel like? Oh, I just got an interesting picture in my head. Oh, I heard that sound. Oh, that's an interesting smell. You know, I feel something kind of strange. I feel a little ill today and I was standing next to this person. Oh, it's a wonderment. It's being in a state of wonderment. Interesting. What's coming up there? What is that? It's a state of questioning. Do you see the difference between those two things? Mm -hmm. It's getting a download or a set of data and going, Ooh, that's interesting. What's that? Not, oh, I got a thing. Crap, I can't say that. That's not a thing. I'm a bad person. That Don't say that. You're wrong. You know, all of those nasty things that get said because we've been taught as a society, we are not allowed to be seen. We have to be careful with what we're being said, how we're presenting ourselves. And it's wrapped us up into these beings of almost like walking on eggshells around each other. We've forgotten how to talk to each other. We've forgotten how to listen to each other. We've forgotten how to listen to our own bodies because we're waiting for someone else to tell us that we're right or wrong. That's where the soul sovereignty comes in and checking through with learning really good discernment. And as you're practicing, you'll start seeing the things you got wrong and start seeing the things that you did really get that were spot on. So it's really a level of practicing. I would encourage people to look into the different clairs. So clairaudience, clairvoyance, clairsentient, and, and seeing what the strongest ones are for people. Empathy, that's the gateway to, to intuition. That's the gateway to psychic world. That's the gateway to understanding and communing with spirit. Start with that, check in with your empathetic, empathetic self. Like, ooh, what's going on in my body today? Is that mine? Is that someone else's? Play games, guess the colors on cards. I do it with playing cards. Hmm. Sat in an airport with my boyfriend. He was like, all right, what card is it? I was like, hearts. And he was like, okay, you're creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I used to 
I used to think, yes, I'm an empathic person. And then I started to think that, and I'm not saying because empathic people I knew were weak, excuse me, but I started to think I cannot be an empath because that means I'm weak. That means that is a myth. Yes. And and that's what I thought for so long. And then I thought, so that is definitely not me. Mm. And I do think I'm empathic. I really do. Um, But I don't find it to be a weakness anymore. And I think it could be a weakness if you let other people's emotions or attitudes, energies, whatever, take over yours. But I don't think it's a weakness if you can recognize what's happening. Yes. And I think you spelled that out perfectly because yes, and I would agree you are an empath based off of how I know you and what things that we've talked about. And even in the discussions today, what you're experiencing, that absolutely sounds like empathic, like not just empathy, but I am an empath. I'm physically feeling and sensing through my body. The empaths are weak. That is absolutely a mess. We want to move from like subservient and fear-based empathy into the empowered empath, which is someone who understands and knows how to hold their field, accept and allow the information to come and go and flow through, release what isn't working or release what might not be helping you. And really seeing that what empaths are is it's a sensitivity you have us like mm-hmm. and I don't mean sensitive as in you're sensitive and emotional and <laughs> we're all those things too but not in a not in a fear-based insulted judgmental type of way if you catch my meaning yes yeah it's more that we have extra sensory and that is so strong And we need to learn how to channel that so it doesn't overtake us. Those people who say empaths are weak, it's because they don't know how to process the information Mm -hmm. and they're succumbing to that. So it's more that we have a sensitivity, not that we are a weak being Mm -hmm. on the contrary, not at all. That's like a superpower. Empathic is like superpower, superpower, get your cape. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So how can you... Um, how can people find you? How can people find your work? And how can you help people who do not live anywhere near you? Well, the beautiful thing about that is I offer remote sessions through Zoom, through phone calls. um, And we always touch base about that. I can help people with transformational work. If you're unsure of maybe how I can help you, come and do a discovery call with me. Let's have a discussion about it. Let's, Let's talk about your goals and we can map out a plan for you. You can find me on my Facebook page. You can, you know, hit me up on the personal one of Kayla Dutton if you want, or I like to reroute people to the Phoenix Lightworks page, which will actually be changing its name. I did like a whole video because I've been rerouting and rebranding. But right now it's Phoenix Lightworks. And I can help people in a myriad of ways as a, as a multi-passionate I have those both sides of those businesses where it's transformational, multidimensional healing, getting you into place of um, self-love, working on chronic conditions, changing uh, emotional habits, emotional belief sets, feeling sets, and shifting them into a new belief set, new feeling set. It's really powerful work. You know, and then if you need the artist side, you can still get me through either of those pages doing, you know, spiritual branding for your, for the solo entrepreneur you know, logos, high-end branding. I can do murals for you. I also take commissions for paintings. So 
if you feel called to work with someone like me, just hit me up. Let's have a conversation. Let's see how we connect. And usually through those conversations, we end up knowing why we're sitting together. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's funny because people talk about the friends that they won't talk to for months or whatever, and then they can talk and it's just like normal. And I feel that way with you, even though we've had this long distance relationship. Yeah, I feel the same way. It was so funny because you said, hey, let's hook up. I was totally thinking, oh my God, we're going to have like early morning coffee, you know? And and you were like, by the way, this is a podcast today. And I went, oh, it's going to be audio, right? Because I'm in my pajamas and I need coffee. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> I, I think it is perfect. I am so glad that we could catch up like this and, and that now I have shared you with uh, with my friends. And Thank here's you. another thing I really like about Kayla. Kayla was raised in a strict Catholic home. And she, I, I, I want to say this in the nicest way possible. You know, some of us were raised really in a, in a strict religious background. Some of us weren't. Kayla, Kayla doesn't care what your background is. Oh God, you came no. From straight, you know, you can't, you come from strict or you come from more um, just personally, spiritually based. There is no judgment no. and there is no right or wrong. It is what works for you. And I think that's very important because you don't try to make someone fit into the mold. You meet people where they are. And I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. God, I don't even fit no mold. And if you try and put me in a box, I'm going to suffocate. So I'm certainly not going to do that to someone else. <laughs> Thank you for seeing that in me. I really, really honor and appreciate that. Okay, I stop. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.